Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. Ahmed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Rhode Island Senate leaders have just unveiled their priorities for the new legislative session. On their list, expanded access to pre-K for young children, funding for school construction, and replacing the state's aging water and sewer systems, including all those lead pipes that are still in use. Today, I talked to Senate President Dominic J. Ruggiero about his vision for the new year, how the Senate will convene with COVID on the rise again, and his own political future. And stay tuned after the interview. We got some great responses to our Chestnut episode last week, and I've got one Chestnut War story you won't want to miss. We'll be back after this short break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Dominic J. Ruggiero has been president of the Rhode Island Senate since 2017. A North Providence Democrat, he previously served as Senate Majority Leader. He was first elected to the Senate in 1984, and he served in the House from 1981 to 1984. President Ruggiero, thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much for having me today, Ed. Your first podcast, I understand. Uh, this is my first podcast, yes. So, um, so bear with me. <laughs> The uh, 2022 legislative session will begin soon. What are your top three priorities? Uh, this year, our top three priorities are uh, a universal pre-K. Uh, we're working on that. I have three of my uh, uh, senators, uh, amongst other people, that are working on that particular issue. Uh, we feel that is something that uh, uh, we, we, ne we need uh, for uh, young people. Uh, we want to start that with people from three and four years old. And I think that will help uh, people, number one, uh, to uh, get back to work, and it'll also help our young students get involved in uh, the academic uh, uh, arena a lot earlier than, uh, than, than normal. So, And we have a program right now that has uh, started that. Uh, however, we are looking to accelerate uh, the uh, uh, universal pre-K. So that's uh, one of our objectives right now. 
another of our objectives is to provide more bond money for school construction. Uh, we've seen some of the good things that have happened that with school construction throughout the state, uh, especially the East Providence High School, which is an absolute state-of-the-art uh, facility uh, that I think the public will be immensely proud of. Yeah, that looks nice. I saw that the other day. Yes, it's uh, absolutely beautiful, uh, and I know uh, uh, Central Falls is looking to build a new high school, and uh, recently uh, Pawtucket has come up with a new proposal uh, for the uh, for the. Uh, uh, the property that was once uh, uh, McCoy Stadium. Yeah, yeah. I wrote about that over the weekend. That Pawtucket's moving ahead with a plan to tear down McCoy Stadium. Now, none of the Pawsox on Worcester and erect a new high school that would consolidate Shea and Tolman high schools, right? So the price tag is $302 million on the bonding order require assembly approval. Do you support that? Uh, yes, I do support that. Uh, they're in dire need of a, a new facility. I think that's a great site for that. Uh, I think that the site has to uh, be worked on a little. I think there's some re- remediation uh, that has to be involved. Uh, but I think that's a, a great site for uh, that particular uh, building. And you, you mentioned the universal pre-K. We were, we're on track for that, but how long would it take under the current uh, program to get to universal? Everybody wants it. Under the current program, it would probably take about anywhere from 28 to 30 years. Uh, we want to accelerate that uh, to make that happen within a five-year period. Uh, I know that it's going to be expensive. It's going to be a legacy cost, uh, but I think it's uh, definitely something that we actually need. Uh, we're having learning loss with the young people. I think uh, those young people from three to four years old uh, should get started earlier. So that's one of our initiatives that we're going to be looking at in this legislative session. And how much would it cost to accelerate that program? Well, the cost will probably, it'll be pretty substantial. It'll probably cost somewhere anywhere from 100 to $125 million dollars. Uh, but I think it's well worth it. It's a great investment. And as uh, not only uh, myself, but uh, the speaker has said, uh, we're looking to use some of this COVID money to uh, make reinvestments, uh, reinvestments in uh, our economy, uh, reinvestments in our education system. Uh, it's not just, we're not just looking to plug holes with the money that we have coming from the government. Uh, we're looking to do something uh, that will be beneficial in the near future. All right. So the top three priorities you, you talked about, universal pre-K, school construction. What's the third? Obviously, we have to do something with uh, uh, our infrastructure in the state of Rhode Island. Uh, we've had, uh, and, and we've done a very good job, and I have to give credit to uh, the Department of Transportation and uh, Director Alvidi over there for getting a lot of projects off the ground. We've seen a, a, a tremendous amount of construction in this state, uh, but I think there's more that needs to be done. Uh, we have to look at our water system, uh, especially where lead pipes are concerned, uh, because that is a detriment to young people. Um, and uh, I think we have to look at uh, a whole bunch of things as far as it affects the infrastructure, uh, as far as coastal resiliency. Uh, we have to look at some of the dams in the state of Rhode Island. We have 16 dams that are in dire need of, prepare, of, of repair. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other dams that uh, we have to take a look at uh, so we don't have the flooding that we've had in the past. Yeah, I remember a month or two ago there was some advocates outside the state house saying that the number of children poisoned by lead for the first time rose 22% last year, and uh, they were asking for $500 million in federal money to replace an estimated 100,000 drinking water pipes that still contain lead. Is that possible? That's a big figure. 
Uh, that's uh, that's doable. We'll have to see. Uh, obviously, uh, we're going to have to take uh, some of those uh, mostly the, the, the poorly affected areas first. Uh, but I think that's doable. I'm not sure about the cost. Uh, I don't think we've run that numbers, but that's an estimate from uh, some of the advocates. Uh, they want to use that money for that purpose, and I'm, I'm, su I'm supportive of that for the most part. So that's a priority. Uh, that is a priority, yes. So Massachusetts and Connecticut have legalized recreational marijuana. Why is Rhode Island lagging behind? Well, uh, I have uh, the two of my senators, uh, Senator uh, Michael McCaffrey, the majority leader in the Senate, and also Senator Josh Miller, who is our uh, chairman of our Health, uh, and, uh, health and, and Human Services uh, Committee. Uh, they have been working on this since we adjourned last year, even, even before we adjourned. And I think they've done an absolutely great job. They've put extensive hours into this uh, particular issue. Uh, they've visited a lot of facilities, uh, not only in this state, uh, but also in Massachusetts. And I think they're rel relatively close to, uh, to getting agreement. What's the main sticking point in the nego negotiations with Governor McKee's administration in the House? Is it this idea of who's going to regulate it? Uh, that's that's one of the issues that we're concerned with uh, as far as who's going to regulate it. We are supportive of a independent body. And when I say we, I mean the Senate. Uh, I think the House is supportive of that, and we're just going to have to meet with the governor and uh, try to get him to support that. Uh, he seems to feel that it's, uh, it's, it's best be uh, uh, served under uh, – Department of Business Regulation, uh, but we, we don't think that's the case. Uh, I'm, I'm very disappointed at the way that uh, uh, medical marijuana has been handled s since its inception. Uh, I just don't think that the department over there is uh, necessarily the best route to go, and I think a, a private commission similar to what New York and Massachusetts does. You're disappointed in how DBR dealt with the medical marijuana program, that's, that is so you'd like to yes. see something new. And how will you avoid having big co corporations sweep in and, and uh, dominate the marijuana market? Is there uh, some kind of social equity provision in there? Uh, yes, uh, they, they've been dealing with that issue, and I think they have an agreement uh, as far as the social equity situation. And we want to get some people into that business uh, that uh, not just the big money people, but uh, some people that uh, uh, can make this a, a future as far as, uh, um, you know, there's a lot of jobs involved uh, with this particular industry, and that's, that's who we want to help out. You know, we're going to be returning to the uh, state house soon for the first day of the legislative session. Do do senators feel comfortable going back to the state house amid this increase in in COVID nineteen that we're seeing in the Omicron? Variant? Well, obviously, my colleagues would like to operate from the state house. It's very difficult to work from two locations. Uh, we were at Rhode Island College last year. It worked out very well. We did not, to the best of my knowledge, we did not have any incidences of any infections. And that worked out very well. Uh, we just don't know where the coronavirus is going. On December 4th, we are going into session. Uh, we will be at the State House at that Jan time. January 4th, right? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, January 4th, yes. Uh, and we will be at the State House uh, for that initial session, and then we'll see uh, where everything is going. What do you think? You think we'll end up back at Rick? The Senate will end up back at Rick this year? Uh, the, the coronavirus and the, var the various variants that. Uh, uh, will probably dictate that. Uh, a priority one uh, for me is to keep my, my colleagues 
in the Senate safe, uh, along with the staff. Uh, we, we don't want to go down. We had a very successful legislative session last year. Uh, we did a lot of things, and things worked out uh, very well, even though we were at a different location. Uh, but, uh, uh, I mean, if ideally we'd like to stay at the State House, but I'm not sure if that's doable. It depends on the, uh, the coronavirus. What's going to happen if some of uh, your colleagues in the Senate refuse to wear a mask during the, the Senate sessions? Well, that's something that we're considering right now. Uh, I'm encouraging all of my colleagues to, uh, uh, to mask up. I think it's the safest way to do it. We did that at Rhode Island College, uh, and I'm going to encourage them to do that. And uh, then we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, I just don't know what we would do if, in the event that uh, they, some of them decide not to. So uh, that's, uh, that's something that we haven't addressed at this point in time. Um, and let me ask you, just uh, today on Monday, uh, the House Republicans uh, put out a, a statement saying that they want, want legislation that would challenge the governor's vaccine and mandate uh, executive uh, uh, mandates uh, for uh, vaccines and masking. What do you make of that? Uh, I haven't seen or heard from the, uh, about that uh, at this point in time. Uh, obviously, we consider all legislation uh, that comes before us. Uh, we'll take a look at that, uh, but I'm not hopeful uh, uh, that we would secure passage on something like that. Uh, yeah, what do you think of that idea? I mean, they're, they're, they're going to challenge those mandates. Uh, look, anyone can challenge anything, as you well know, uh, but I don't think that's... Uh, uh, that's the route to go. Uh, that it, it just, uh, I mean, it, it, every single uh, doctor that you talk to, they all seem to feel that uh, this is not going away, the coronavirus. It's going to get worse uh, probably after uh, Christmas and after New Year's where people are getting together uh, more frequently. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that's the, uh, the, the appropriate move. So it right sounds now. like that bill might be helpful for the study. Uh, quite possibly. I, I, I remember you co-sponsored the legislation to cut the top marginal income tax rate from 99 to 5.99%. So what do you think of the legislation that was proposed last year in the House and Senate to raise that top rate uh, to from 599 to 899 on income above 475,000, essentially the top 1%? Well, I, I think we need a fairer tax code. Uh, however, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, supportive of raising taxes at this point. Uh, I think that uh, some of the people that uh, uh, the high in the higher salaries, uh, I, I don't want to lose them in the state. That, that has happened before in the past. You think they'd move out if, if you I raise that could, rate? I think they would probably <clears throat> move out a lot of them. And uh, uh, look, everyone has uh, learned how to operate remotely as a result of the coronavirus. And I think that a lot of people would possibly move out uh, if that was the case. In the kickoff video, um, a candidate for governor, Matt Brown, said the goal of him and other Rhode Island political cooperative candidates was to form a governing majority in the House, the Senate, and the governor's office. He said, we're going to take the whole effing state house, he said. What do you say to that? Uh, first of all, I, I think he uses terrible language. Um, I, I, I don't see that as happening. Uh, I think that some of the proposals that uh, uh, they've put forth uh, we've already done that. Uh, they, they, they mentioned uh, $15 minimum wage. Uh, we were looking to raise the minimum wage the last seven years, and the Senate has voted uh, to do that. Um, oh, I think their plank now is to, they're calling for a $19 minimum wage. Uh, yes, yeah, so yeah. they're, now they're calling for a $19 <clears throat> minimum wage. And you know what? If we did a $19 minimum wage, they'd be calling for a $25 minimum wage. Uh, so, uh, I, I, I mean, I... I I think that we should let uh, the, the legislation that we 
uh, past uh, this year uh, uh, play out, and uh, we'll see what happens in the future. I don't think anyone who's working right now is getting uh, less than $15 an hour. Senator Cynthia Mendes, lieutenant governor candidate, and Matt Brown just slept in tents outside the statehouse for 16 days uh, calling for action on homelessness. Do you think they deserve credit for the action the state has taken to expand the number of emergency shelter beds in, in, in recent weeks? Absolutely not. Uh, they did absolutely nothing on this uh, particular issue until it came out that the governor it was going to appropriate more money uh, at the urging of both the Senate and the House uh, for housing. And they just uh, jumped on the issue and made it look like uh, they were responsible for the passage of that, uh, which they were not. And Senator Mendes did not put in one piece of legislation uh, affecting affordable housing uh, this year and also voted against the budget uh, where there was money in there uh, for affordable housing and also the funding stream uh, for future uh, affordable housing uh, projects. Well, the, the point they were making uh, outside there was that uh, the state has access to all this uh, American Rescue Plan Act money. Why not use that for, uh, uh, aside from the affordable housing projects, uh, for emergency shelter beds? Uh, we did appropriate $200 million mm. uh, for that purpose, and the money was a little slow in getting out. Uh, we were addressing some uh, eviction uh, uh, issues and things of that nature, uh, but we had... Uh, Plenty of money uh, to disperse uh, for uh, affordable housing and for evictions and for things of that nature. That's the rent relief money? Uh, that is correct, yes. Just this morning, uh, your opponent in the last election, Lenny Co, tweeted the, that the latest Senate District 4 redistricting map C is just as gerrymandered as A and B, benefiting Ruggiero at my expense, he, he said. He, he, and I know... He's still in the same Senate district as you under these proposed maps. But what do you say to the, his objection to eliminating that area around Providence College where he performed well in 2020? Uh, reapportionment happens every 10 years, and there's, there's movement, and uh, uh, the commission has been dealing with that uh, particular issue. Uh, keep in mind that I am the only person who lives in North Providence. Uh, that uh, that's that's uh, that that's running running for office, but we have five senators right now who uh, represent North Providence. So, uh, if it was A, B, C, D, E, he'd still be opposed to it. This is the most diverse uh, group that has ever been on the reapportionment committee, and I think they've done an absolutely great job. And uh, they're, they're following the flow of the population. Just to be sure, next year is an election year. Do you plan to run again? And how much longer do you intend to serve in the Senate? Um, I am running for office next year for the, the seat in the 4th Senatorial District. And after that, uh, I don't know. Senate President Ruggiero, thank you for joining us today. Dad, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. I have the details about a $302 million plan to tear down McCoy Stadium, the former home of the Pawtucket Red Sox, and build a new Pawtucket High School that would consolidate Tolman and Shea High Schools. My colleague Brian Amaral has a story on a warning by a top Rhode Island doctor that the state health care system is at risk of collapsing because of severe staffing shortages exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. And Alexa Gagas reports that Barrington High School transitioned students to remote learning for three days this week after finding a threat written on the wall of the girls' bathroom. Find these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. 
That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. And here's that chestnut story I was telling you about. This is Robert McMahon. He lives in Providence now, but he grew up in East Greenwich. Every year we got an influx of, of new students from, from Navy families that moved into town. And uh, well, one year we, we got this girl in the fifth grade whose name was Peggy. She was a pretty um, kind of competitive kind of person. When she got there, she didn't know anything about playing chestnuts. And so she must have seen that we were, we were playing chestnuts. So she started a, a group with girls playing chestnuts. And we didn't think much of it. One day, uh, you know, Peggy approached me in the schoolyard and said, you know, I'd like to uh, challenge your, your in, in, a, in a competition. So I said, well, maybe I'll consider it. Just, you know, let her go. So she really got to me psychologically when she said as she left, so I guess it's true what the kids are saying. You are only the boys champ at Our Lady of Mercy School in East Greenwich. And away she walked off. So that got under my skin. So that, that indicated just how savvy she was. After school, everybody knew that she had challenged me. And so I had to consult with a couple of friends. And I was getting lots of different advice about whether to go ahead with this match or not to go ahead with it. So I reluctantly agreed. And so we set the match for lunchtime the Monday before Thanksgiving. She was surprisingly good. <laughs> it's, and it, she, she was on target all the time. And the pressure finally got to me a little. And I said, geez, I wonder if I'm going to win this thing. And so the, the possibility of defeat began to creep into my mind, further affecting my game and my skill. So we were getting close to the end of recess, and finally the, the bell rang. And the kids were all yelling, one more round, one more round. So my three tries in the final round, I, I struck her, but nothing happened. And then on her first try in the final round, she, she hit my, my chestnut and smashed it to smithereens. Nothing remained on my string. So I was just stood there in shock. I was almost in tears as I marched back into school. And uh, it took me a while to get over the defeat. Unfortunately, I never got to uh, have a rematch with Peggy the following school year because her, her father got transferred. Uh, he was in the Navy and she left. And then I realized, you know, that's it. I'm never going to be able to, to uh, get my title again. So I, I forgot about chestnuts and moved on to other activities. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.